Good evening and welcome to Psych Health Shop. This is one that I'm going to be enjoying a lot. Um, for those that don't know, I'm a very big romance sci-fi reader. Um, one of my favorite series is Psychop. But, you know, The Mothman to the Flame is a good damn book. I know this is a different style of author, but welcome, Remy. How are you, darling? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Really got into your novels, into your three books. I'm in the middle of one of them right now. But I really enjoy your style, your conversation. I do think you could smutty it up a little bit more for for us. I mean, come on. <laughs> Ironically enough, I actually got a comment from someone who doesn't normally read romance books who said that they would classify the Mothman book as erotic literature. Oh, Lord. Then they need to go read Psychop then and come back. <laughs> I told her I said if three scenes constitutes erotica, then I, I am definitely at a loss for words. That aren't even that detailed, honey. No, I mean, she barely quivers. Oh, so see, now that gets into the granny porn category then. Yeah. Like, you know, she sighed and flushed. Yeah. Yeah, but anyhow, <laughs> so this is one of them. The one that I'm digging into probably later tonight is th the thirst. Mm -hmm. Which do are these two together? Are these two the same? Where yeah. is it for your readers? So the Mothman to a Flame book is a standalone, and I think I may expand the series, but I'm not going to revisit that character. Like this was his story; it's cut and dry, open and shut. Right. I may dip into more of the cryptid uh, stories in West Virginia, particularly like the, the Crafted Monster. And I mean, there's so many that we could list, but mm -hmm. uh, Thirst is actually, um, it's the beginning. It, it was my debut novel. It was the very first novel I ever published. And mm -hmm. it has a sequel coming out next month. And awesome. then there'll be a third book in that series, but it'll be kind of like a, just, it, it'll be a standalone. Like the, the okay. original story will be book one and two. Cool. Very cool. So what's your process? Because you've got seven of them running at the same time right now. Yeah. So I have like high functioning ADHD. So my brain is going a hundred miles a minute any given time of the day. I feel like a Chrome browser with 800 tabs open all at once. So when I write, it helps me if I'm partially distracted, whether that be just music in the background or, you know, maybe my kids playing in the other room to so something that will take part of my brain away from what I'm doing. Now, with the ADHD and being an author, my brain will jump from one project to the next to the next before the first project is done. So I just keep eight to 10 different Word documents open. And then if I get tired of one, I'll just hop over to the next one until I feel like I've reset myself and then I can go back to whatever's on a deadline. Right. How was the publishing process for you? Um, it was frustrating. Okay. It's not difficult, but I kind of jumped into it because I 
don't do delayed gratification or long time frames very well. So I was just like, yeah, we're good for it. And I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I am very grateful that I had a couple of authors who know what they're doing, who actually took me under their wing and kind of explained things to me. Um, the book talk community on TikTok was really great about explaining the pros and cons of traditional versus indie. And mm-hmm. I kind of just learn a lot as I go. I'm still learning as I go. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that can be very difficult, you know, determining do you want to go traditional, which means your book could come out in five years. Yeah. Ten, you know, if it's if it's not clatchy or at the tune. Yeah, some authors will wait seven, ten years to hear back from, you know, anybody in a positive manner like me. I don't have the time or the patience to wait around for two, three, four years for an agent to go, oh, okay, well, you know what? There might be something here. Like, I know I have something here, and I know that this is the kind of book that I would have wanted to read when I was younger. So, I mean, what's the point in waiting? Right. You know, and how, you know, and that's the type of thing. I know, Sandy, you'll, you know, you can catch me this Saturday at Peg and Pride. We're both going to be there. You can get your book signed and come take my shotgun tarot class and hopefully get a reading. It's going to be a different event because I'm going to be doing three different roles there. But um, with the mouth man to the flame, what was your hardest section? Honestly, the hardest part of that book it wasn't there wasn't any part of the book itself that was difficult except for deciding how I wanted to portray that because I mean we in West Virginia we're pretty we're pretty territorial over our our folklore and stuff like that so I didn't want to I didn't want to throw it in the sci-fi realm and have this completely gray moth character so I actually I took a lot of time out to research the original Mothman legend and find uh-huh. out about it and then when I decided to set it in present day, I thought to myself, well, by now, the original Mothman would have done, had, you know, several generations to go past. So it made sense to water the character down a little bit, but I mm-hmm. still wanted to feel original. And it was a hard balance to find. Right. Um, how are you about finding the research on it? Um, <clears throat> so how did I do it or how? How hard was it to find, like, real... Because, you know, I'm sorry. Yes, we're in West Virginia, but the folklore is 10 foot deep. Yeah. Six of that foot is sugar. Yeah. The other four foot of that is molasses. And then you get to the real story. Right. So, if you know where to look, the research really isn't hard to do. They had... um, The original sightings came with police reports. And witness. So I went back in to find out the names that were tied to the people who originally reported the Mothman sightings in the 60s. And then I just looked up the public, like, because they have that as public information. You're, you're, uh, right. So it was, it was slightly difficult because they're, like you said in the beginning, it's all just sugar and glossy and everybody's just got their own interpretation. But I wanted to go back to the original so i just went straight to the source and that was the original reports mm-hmm. to the police right did you go out to the factory are I you have the have to get inspired their environment there or i took a couple of virtual tours through a friend of mine who lives down in the south the southern part of the state but i haven't actually gotten to see 
the TNT zone or anything like that in person yet. I was going to attend the Mothman Festival this year, but they didn't have space for me. And then they ended up canceling it a couple of days ago. So right. yeah, I do have to go down there because it would probably be a really cool experience, actually. Don't do it on Sunday. <laughs> Don't do it on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Um, one quick question, though. Um, so how has the Mothman community received the book? Like, have you gotten like, oh, my God, this is amazing? Has it been like, oh, my God, you totally like, like, uh, like, where's it been reaction wise? This book has only been out for a month, but I've had a couple of West Virginia natives read it. And some of the women who have read it are like, you know, I never would have thought to, you know, compare it in such a way. But, but it's, it's, for the most part, it's been received positively. Like Good. I said, aside one person who said that it, it sounded like erotica to them. I mean, I haven't had any complaints. People seem right. to like the, the overall basis of the book. Now, I would love to take it down to where some actual, like, Mothman freaks are at and see how it's accepted there and how they feel about it there. Because, I mean, I know I'm not going to make everybody happy with it. And no, it's not exactly 100% the same way that the original Mothman is. But... I yeah, mean, because you tie the Mothman into vampire, which is interesting. And I'm glad yours don't sparkle. Yeah, no. I can't. I hate sparkle vampires. <laughs> no, vampires do not need sparkle. No. Never. I'd not be using enough glitter. There is no tasteful amount of body glitter. No. Yes, there is. Well... It depends on the event. It depends on the event. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the event. Um, no, Sandy, we are. All you got to do is hop on sixty-eight. Come on over to uh, Flat Top. I'll be at Pagan Pride, and so will you. Doing book signings. Are you going to do some readings? I uh, yeah, I'm totally open to that. I hadn't, I hadn't set out a whole schedule yet because I wasn't sure how everybody's schedule was going to be, and I mean I. This will actually be my first big event. I've done a local one here in Morgantown, but I've uh -huh. never actually done a bigger event. So I'm kind of going to play it by ear, see how it goes. If I get you know a decent pull over there at the table, then I have no problem pulling out any one of the books that I'm going to be bringing and just uh -huh. reading half of this. Right. So let's talk about the, you know, we have the Mothman to, like Mothman to a Flame. Then you have the Thirst. Tell everybody about yeah. So The Thirst was the first novel that I published, um, and I published it wide, so it's available on every retailer you could possibly think of. Um, it, this is going to sound really corny, guys, and I apologize in advance, but I was a Twilight fan. When Twilight was coming out in the books, I used to go to their midnight releases, I used to wait in line, I pre-ordered all of them. I lived for Stephanie Meyer's Twilight series. Now, as an adult... <laughs> I look back on it and I think, number one, vampires should not sparkle. Number two, it was just, it, it, was, it lacked a realistic touch to it. Like, obviously, vampires aren't something that's realistic, but... Debatable. It, yeah, debatable, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but it just, it, it, there was too much teen angst. And I thought to myself, well, I loved it as a teenager, but as an adult, I wish there was something comparable. 
and outside of Anne Rice, there really wasn't something that clicked for me. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, you know, let, why don't I try it? Yeah. So was Susie Stackhouse not out when you done that, or was that a whole separate genre? I'm sorry, what? Was Susie Stackhouse not writing then? Oh, oh. Well, I did really like the Stackhouse series, but I mean, I binged it. So mm-hmm. once you through it, you know, there's nothing else outside of that. I mean, like yeah, there is. The Steve Stackhouse series. That's that's pretty much it. And then you have like the Vampire Diaries for TV, but that wasn't really. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like that either. I, I'm sorry. I am a Bram, Bram Stoker's fan of Vampire. I want him to be sexy. I want him to be hot. <laughs> oh, that's look of I have something. Yes. 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 I want him to be sexy. I want him to be hot. I want him to be able to turn into bats and werewolves and wolves and do it all. Otherwise, he's just a bloodsucker like most men. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, I, I've got to read this comment. It's killing me. Uh, Shannon said the only time a vampire should sparkle is if they are wearing shimmer dust in a strip club. Agreed. I love it. Sorry, I'm there. So how do you find horror romance as a genre for you? Um, I'm pretty dark myself, and I've always liked horror books. I grew up reading Stephen King and I mean obviously you saw the the Dracula copy over there. So like I really like horror Mm -hmm. but I feel like there's there's two different degrees to horror romance. There's either super gory with very little to no romance or fade to black scenes and then there's just 100% smooshy lovey romance but they're a vampire. And I was like why why can't we do both? Like why? I mean we're we're missing that middle gap in there. And I think we're missing that gap when it comes to horror, horror romance in general. Yeah. Is, you know, if you read like Rebecca, which come on, it's Amish romance. Those scenes are hot. Those men are enticing. There's a lot of emotions in that writing. And then you go over and you try to read like some of the stuff that comes out as horror romance. And I'm like, well, we have the horror. Yes, you know, he killed five humans through the first two chapters. That's cute. Yeah. Where's the romance? Your books are different. They're better. Well, thank you. They got that blend there. Not enough spot, but they got that blend. I'll work on that suggestion. Please do. <laughs> oh. But, you know, I don't know. I saw you on Facebook. You're, you, as an independent author, have to do your own PR. You don't have an agent. Right. Which I felt really interesting when I contacted you because I reached out to you and were like, um, can you have your agent contact me? And you're like, I don't have an agent. And I'm like... Yep, no, it's just a one woman, one woman here. Right. And that's a whole different industry. You know. So how's that been for you? Um, I am terrible at marketing. I am terrible at it. Absolutely horrible. I have literally debated hiring a personal assistant to help me handle social media marketing because, I mean, it's not difficult to learn, but it's time consuming. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I feel like my time would be much better spent actually writing the words than right. writing up a five-sentence ad and running it in every group known to math. Well, and, and what I'm seeing more so out of book, we'll call it book everything, mm-hmm. is now the characters have their freaking own Facebook pages. Yeah. And I'm like, huh? I yeah, he's like that's free book. Why is he? Why is there a page for him? And a page for the, you know, that's a lot of marketing. And getting to the authors is sometimes a troublesome thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, especially the ones that have agents. Yes. Like, good God. <sighs> yeah. But now, the other thing I've found, like, people who go publisher route, is it seem, and I've gotten sucked into this, they have like three good books. That's it. They have three good books, and then an, a publisher picked them up. And then books four through infinity, because now they're on a treadmill of like every six months, you got to put out a new book. Yep. And like the first three books draw you in. And then somewhere, like, book four isn't as good, but you kept reading because you're really into the story. Five was a little worse, but you kept reading because you're into the story. And then somewhere around six to eight is where, like, all of a sudden it's like, wait, you're contradicting yourself all over the place. Like, how rushed were you? Um, because I got into that a while back with an author I was loving until like right around book like seven, I think it was, or six, one of the two. And this author just, I mean, like bold face contradicted. And I was like, oh, this isn't going well. (laughs) So how do you fix that, especially in your series of Direwolf? I mean, does it get a little confusing? Like, oh, you killed him in in book one and you bring him back in book five? So, if I kill a character, they're pretty much going to stay dead. Now, I mean, spoiler alert, there are are an exception or here or there, but I don't make it a habit to kill off characters. I don't intend to stay dead. Like, if if you're going to die in a book, there's there's a reason. Now, Mm -hmm. going back to the whole 20 book thing, there's actually a reason for that. There is totally a reason for that. The really large extended series are popular with traditional publishers because in their mind, like you said, the first couple of them suck you in. And then because you're invested in the story and the characters, the theory is, is that you will just continue to buy these books, whether individually or in a group package, because you want to find out how it ends for everybody else. Now, I honestly, back when I first got into books and I wanted to go the traditional route, I mean, I was fresh out of high school. I went to college and majored in English so that I could make a real go of it. It wasn't popular back then. And that's because most people were traditional. And Mm -hmm. now that many people are going indie, traditional had to find a way to keep up to it. And so the theory is, is that if you have 20 books, most of your readers are going to end up buying all 20 of those books. And that's Mm -hmm. what skyrockets you up. I don't like the way they do the book feeding though. That, that, that whole point you made about they just lose interest it's because publishers will direct you to go towards market mm-hmm. they want you to do the the hot market books and they don't want you to deviate from what seems to be popular because that's a risk and they don't want to take risks the good thing about india is is that i can take whatever risks i want 
Right. And that's on me as an author, whether it fails or it does well. I mean, it's a shot in the dark. Mm -hmm. Publishers have their own in-house editors, too. And a lot of times you'll find that if they change editors for a book series, the books themselves will seem different from one book to the other. It'll just feel mm -hmm. like a different series. Even though it's not, it has a different feel to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's part of the, you know, it's part of the trade, but right. again, you know, there's, there's, there is such a thing as drawing something out too much. Right. And there, and there comes a point when a story has to end. Yeah. Like the happy ever after needs to either happen or not happen. Not, right. you know, pop back up 20 years later. Like we've seen with Miss Anne Rice, who you know, wrote a lovely vampire series, stopped because she went Christo for a little while, and now she's popping back up, and it's like, where's Malastat? Yeah. What's Malastat doing? Why isn't Amar in any of your books? Like, if you hit a hot character like Lestat, would you continue the series? I mean, if you hit a hot character and you can continue it in a way that sounds logical mm -hmm. and, it makes, and it makes for a good product, then, I mean, there's no reason not to if your readers want that. Mm -hmm. Now, if my readers come sideways at me, like I, I did have one that said, oh, I'd really like to see what happens in the future with their kids in the Mothman book. I get that, but... I don't feel like the story really needs another generational level to it. I feel like the story is pretty cut and dry. Even if the characters are really good, it, it came to a conclusive end. There's no more right. need to go any further because at that point it would just be rehashing daily life. And that's, right. not, that's not what anybody wants to read about. Right. And it's not anything. And I don't know. I don't like that. Like, I'm seeing that in TV now. And I'm like, no. No, I do not need to know what happened to Will and Grace's kids. Yeah, That's like not if, I wanted, if I wanted a reality show, I'd turn on CBS. Right. Well, I don't know. PBS isn't even reality anymore. You know, Bravo has a plenty of them on there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have another one that we haven't talked about. And I got into this one and then got out of this one. And it was just because of how it was pacing for me. Um, and that's uh, A Rose by Any Other Name. Tell us about that one. Okay, so By Any Other Name is the first time travel novel I've jumped into. Mm -hmm. And if, you've if, you, if you make it a habit to read time travel romance in particular, um, you'll recognize that, I mean, for a while there were, there were a certain set of places in history that people were comfortable going a lot of people like to go to the Renaissance era. A lot of people like to go to the 1900s Britain and romanticize that. A lot of people like to go, you know, the, the, back to um, you know, the discovery of America. But I don't really see a whole lot of people going back to things like ancient Persia. You see a whole right. lot of books in Greece, in ancient Greece and in ancient Rome, but you never see the opposite side. Now, mm -hmm. in like the movie The 300, Persia was the bad guy. Right. Nobody ever tells the bad guy story, so why not? Right. And it's an interesting book, but time travel for me is always problematic. How was the research for that one, though? Because, again, it's Persia. There's not a lot there. 
especially from um, your from the female side of things. Yeah. I used to read a lot of Harlequin romance novels, and when you get into harems, there is a preconceived notion that they're man-centric, that the women are just there to be sexual slaves, and that's pretty much all it is. They don't have any rights, that whole spiel. And I got in touch with an archaeologist who published an entire, um, like a whole paper on ancient Persia and women in ancient Persia. And I was like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much on Wikipedia and all these other websites that tells me one thing, but I want to know from somebody who makes it a habit and their life to study this, I want to know the reality of it. And he actually sent me a whole bunch of resources to look into to actually find out what I would be looking at as far as a realistic harem in Persia. And it was, it was definitely eye opening. They are nothing like what they're portrayed in popular media. They were woman centric women in ancient Persia were actually pretty liberated compared to other time periods and other places mm-hmm. because they could, they could have property. They could own businesses. They could handle their own money. Um, they were allowed to refuse sexual advances from any man that they chose, even if it was their husband, you know, you know they, they had a lot of rights and right. they were pretty worshipped. So it was kind of cool to get to kind of dispel the whole myth of women just being these sexual concubine slaves in the ancient world. Like, no, we actually have gone backwards. Like they, they were pretty liberal. They were pretty cool. Right. And I find that, you know, when looking at historical harems, it's very much not, you know, there was a pecking order and a way of things being handled. And he had to mind his piece and cues or you didn't just have one mad. You had however many you had mad. Yeah. You know. I think um, when I did the research for that book, and I still have all of the... um, like the little bookmarks on my Chrome browser, I have mm-hmm. like 50 some odd different tabs for that research file. Right. And when I was looking into the family history for that entire period, um, my main character, Archaxer Caesar Aukus, his father actually had 118 wives. That's not counting concubines. That's just all the women he married. Uh-huh. And he had twice as many children. Right. I struggle with two. I yeah. Had a match 200. I know. Now you see why you had to have so many assistants. This is true. Yeah. It's a village. Yeah. And sometimes you have to marry the whole village. <laughs> I guess it never works, right? Right. Um, so is there any subjects you won't take on? Or any things you've ran into and it's like, nope, not going into my book? I don't, I don't think so, really. Like, um, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty broad, broad, broad spectrum when it comes to different ideas being introduced. Mm-hmm. I don't have any hard nose. I mean, in, um, in the time travel remit by any other name, I have non-consensual sexual acts because while it was very infrequent, for women mm-hmm. to be forced into relationships. I mean, occasionally it did happen. And there were just some people that in ancient Persia, women just didn't tell them though. I mean, who's going right. to turn down a king? But when right. you come to a time like ours, you live mm-hmm. in a completely different set of rules and a social case. So it felt realistic to put that in because 
it really drove home the differences between their time and our time. Mm-hmm. And then in Mothman to a Flame, I introduced a couple of ideas that some people might have thought were a little radical. But Why? I'm like the the toy scene. Mm-hmm. Not too much away, but I had one reader that said, "Wow, I can't believe you went there." Well, I mean, why not? On that at all points in time, like <clears throat> romances that make me blush, and it takes a lot to make me blush. So, right. you know, I feel like mine are nowhere near as intense as some of the ones that are out there right now. But yeah, it's I mean, not. I think the, I think the most outlandish scene that I've written, as far as like you know, smutty scenes would have to be the blood play scene in the thirst though. And that was definitely my favorite to write because I feel like everybody skirts around the whole vampires like blood thing. Well, well, yeah, they like blood, but I mean, nobody showed it as more than just, Oh, well it's food. But I mean, I've met quite a few people who like to bring food into the bedroom in our time. Right. So if you're a vampire, that translates into bringing blood into the bedroom. Right. And, you know, that translates into a lot of things. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's like some people, some romance novels, you can tell that, like, they porn hub their way through it. <laughs> and others, it's like, was you there? Like, there's only that type of thing. Yeah. Which is it for you sometimes when you're writing those scenes? Um, so I won't, I don't think that I've ever had to go to Pornhub to look up anything with the exception of one thing. Now, it's not in any of my books yet, but I write with a lot of science fiction romance authors, mm-hmm. like, um, like, like, like Tiffany Roberts and mm-hmm. like, we all have a group where we just sit down and we write together to kind of hold each other accountable. And I ended up reading one of their books where there was an ovipositor and I had no idea what that was. So then I had to Google it and that was an experience. Mm -hmm. That was an experience. But that is honestly the only thing that I've had to, (laughs) that's the only thing I've actually had to look up because I didn't understand it. Uh Uh-huh. It happens. Let me just know the Bucket website was was a that was a trip that was a trip yeah (laughs) so how do you like writing lichen stories so i actually the dire wolf dilemma book that i've got advertising on my uh social media now it's going to be coming out hopefully in december i might bump it up a little bit depending on whether i finish it or not it's actually done i wrote that one before i wrote any other book but Uh I didn't like the way I wrote it and I hadn't written anything in almost 10 years. So I was a little rusty and it was all on paper. So I kind of set it off to the side and I was like, you know what, now that I've gotten that out of the way, I'm going to move on to something else. I love werewolf books. Mm -hmm. I think when COVID hit, I might've binged like six months worth of reading on Wattpad, just reading subpar for werewolf romance books. Right. It's just my thing. And right. you know, back to the whole vampires don't sparkle thing. I was always the team Jacob girl, so Right. Just figured, you know, why not give the werewolves the spotlight? 
Well, not only that, but Lycan in themselves, it, that's really developing into a genre. Yeah. It right. You know, because they're stepping out from the horror scene. That, now, which is your werewolf? Are they the half-human, half-wolf? Are they the full human or the dog? Where are you in the schematicals? So, my werewolf series is actually focused on a group of genetically modified werewolves. The basis of a werewolf in my book is a shifter. So, they have their human form and then they have their wolf form. Mm-hmm. Now, their wolves are like the ones in Twilight. They're bigger than regular wolves. They look the same, but they're definitely right. intelligent animals. Mm-hmm. Um, but my genetic characters have actually been modified to be different. And I have I have a huge dire wolf who stands like 12 foot tall. She's got saber-toothed fangs. She's mm-hmm. known as the monster because she's never been beaten. I have a full-blooded lichen who um, she, she shifts into like the full form standing on two legs lichen, like lycanthropes. Right. Um, I have another one who's been spliced with siren DNA and He's got like a water type wolf form. Okay. The the whole genetic thing allowed me to play around with it. I have astral wolves in there where they're just an astral projection. Mm -hmm. It was it was fun because I didn't feel like I had to stick with werewolf or human. I got to play around with the whole idea of it. Right. My own thing. Right. Well, and your genre isn't without controversy. I mean, recently we had the Omega controversy going on. What's your weigh-in on that? I... I mean, I I don't think that it's as big of a controversy as they make it out to be. I think that a certain group of people get on their soapbox about certain things that they don't understand, Mm -hmm. and then it turns into a way bigger thing than it needs to be. Right. I'm all for the whole live and let live, you know, write what you want to write, read what you want to read thing. I don't I don't particularly like to shame people for whatever their kinks may be in reading. Mm-hmm. Some think that some of these Omegaverse books take it a little far. I mean, I'm over here reading Alien for so. Yeah. <laughs> it's really not it much you can do than that. Well, it's farther, but again, that transfers out of the genre into something else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, you're writing about werewolves and lichens. And, of course, you know, everyone is going to jump through into, well, what about this? And you're like, that doesn't exist in my world. Yeah. You know, what about their pack mentality? You don't talk about that. I. In my um, world. I do. So I do the whole fantasy world approach to it. You know, because when you have a fantasy or a sci fi book, you basically mm-hmm. the entire universe that you're putting people into. And I like my readers to know ahead of time, you know, what kind of a thing that they're stepping into, because I don't want you to assume my books are the same as everybody else's. They absolutely are not. No. I mean, vampires don't burn up in the sun, but they have other quirks that they share with other vampires. Just like my, my werewolves, you know, they share the shifter properties with other werewolf worlds, but I have yet to see anybody else come out with a genetic mutated line of werewolves right so i have people don't like info dumps and i had a bad habit at first of doing that but i found a balance to where 
the characters themselves explain to either new pack members or people that, that don't know about the packs. I mm-hmm. have them explain as if the reader was standing with them so that the reader gets the experience of learning, you know, how the pack works, how the functions work, how the hierarchy is. And in the wolf series that I write, I mean, it could actually be classified as chiclet because it, it starts out, one woman is told she can't run a pack that she's supposed to inherit because she's a female. And so she spends the first two books in the series basically taking down the patriarchy. Right. And, you know, that is a really good, interesting theme to look at there, is starting to put that patriarchal theme in there. Um, so where are you headed with the vampires? So, um, book two is basically where I introduce the readers to the experience of becoming, transforming, and learning about being a vampire. Uh, one of the characters will actually go through the transformation and the reader will literally get to experience that whole thing start to finish. Um, you know, I, I, I don't like the idea that some authors present where, okay, well, you're a human today, you're a vampire tomorrow, and you're instantly this great person who can just handle everything. Mm-hmm. It's, I wanted my vampires to seem like, okay, well, everybody struggles when they start something new. We're not just right. perfect at the minute that we're born into it. So, right. um, Book two is kind of like a struggle book. It's, you know, reuniting people that, you know, have been separated. It's learning about yourself. It's it's kind of a self-discovery book. And then book three will be a standalone, but a continuation of the series. You can read it by itself, but it it does still sort of tie in at book two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be about a vampire who was held in captivity for hundreds of years so she's literally missed out on anything that happened between the Renaissance period all the way to present day. Ooh, so, Blood Catherine. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be That will be fun. You know, and then, you know, I'm really happy that you're not getting caught in what I call the, the traits of vampirism. A lot of the genre is a lot of goth mentality goth idealism world against the man look at me i own all these antiques and i'm so rich your vampires are actually human they have to put up with bills they have to pay things at least in my head yeah you know they didn't open a bank account with a dollar 200 years ago right i mean solution in book one, he, I mean, he is well off. We, we do see that he owns a decent sized villa in Italy, which is not cheap. And he mm-hmm. also is a partner in a vineyard in a winery business. Right. But he doesn't, you know, he, he starts out back in the 1800s as an illegitimate son of an architect from Italy. And I mean, he has a pretty tragic backstory. He, was created by Edgar Allan Poe. Apologies to anybody who is a Poe fan. I am a Poe fan. But see, that goes great with your genre, though, because Poe really, you know, his life really fits into that. Yeah. And, I mean, that, that too, was another section of research as well, because I wanted to be able to know, you know, everything about how Poe's life and his poetry and prose were. 
and I tie him and Bram Stoker into the book, and I, I do paint Poe in a kind of crappy light because he really wasn't a good person. He was a great author. He mm-hmm. had some good words, but he wasn't a good person in particular. And I, you know, I, I I'm honest about that in the book. Right. You know, he creates a problematic relationship with Lucian and. Lucian has it hard for quite a while because he's not, he doesn't start out some rich boy. He's basically just this rakish guy who does what he wants and lives this fast and loose life. And then he finds himself at the end of a shit stick as a vampire and just has to kind of dig his way back out and figure mm-hmm. out how he's going to live his life from there on out. Right. And what to do with living his life from then on out. I find it interesting, though, that you didn't tie in the... um... Okay. According to the Poe stuff, there is some gentleman that wears a black top hat that visits his grave every um, anniversary of his death and leaves a rose. Mm -hmm. I thought that would be really cool to have tied in there. See, and that wouldn't have been a bad idea, but I paint Lucian to despise his career uh-huh. because right. he didn't, you know, he didn't like that the choice was taken away from him. He didn't like his creator in general, and you know, he he runs from him as soon as he is able to. On mm-hmm. Now, I do tie in, and I'm hoping that more people comment on it because I really I really flew under the radar with the dry humor with Bram Stroker. Uh-huh. I I kind of have this running joke in the book that Bram's Dracula is mm-hmm. based loosely off of Bram and Lucian's experience as vampires. Interesting. And I have this running theme in the book that Lucian's constantly dispelling myths about actual vampires and their afflictions or their powers um his love interest izzy in the book will be like oh you can eat you can eat garlic i thought that was a thing that didn't happen i thought you can't walk out in the sun and he'll just like he'll he'll go off in his head and he'll just be like fucking bram god why and i kind of paint bram as a little bit of a sellout because i feel like you know it it i wanted my vampires to be different and the whole Dracula mm-hmm. ideology of vampires is so overplayed that in order to be different, I had to say that it was wrong. Well, and that's what's been going out in the genres for decades now. You know, garlic is now a pheromone for some vampires. I'm like, interesting point, interesting point there. You know, crosses don't burn us. That's why we wear them all. So I like that. I like that play that you've done with that and the correcting things. I'm like, God damn it, Bram. Um, is there any tropes that you think that you'll tackle next book? I think, oh, let's see here. I've wanted to do Enemies to Lovers for a while, and I think that's that's already a pretty solid running trope in like book three of my werewolf series. So mm-hmm. that's on the table and I'm really excited mm-hmm. to write that because I've never actually written you know people who hate each other but with sexual tension so that'll be fun um, right. 
the alpha male trope is a little bit overplayed, but I also, you know, I, I, I visit that back and forth. And at first I thought the whole alpha male trope was just like werewolves and shifters and stuff, but it, it really just is broadly used to define a man who's dominant, who just gets what he wants and he doesn't care. And so I visited that in the time travel novel with the king, and then I visited with um, the bad guy in the Mothman book. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that trope, but one that I haven't done yet that I don't have planned that I would like to do is um, like a soft male character, like you know the nerdy guy who's just sitting back in the corner of the table. You know, he's he's a quiet dude. Yeah, he's not spoken, and. <clears throat> That one, I think, will be the most fun to write because it's not one that you see a lot. Right. Um, do you think that you'll ever collide the worlds? Um, so, I don't want to say that I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to join the vampires and the werewolves. I definitely want to keep those two separate. Uh-huh. I could totally see some of my worlds crossing in the near future. Cool. That could be coming in a lot handy, especially Mothman to a flame. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that could Actually, be a good second book. Um, the reader magnet that I'm working on, one of my little side projects that is mm-hmm. on my browser, I have a free reader magnet that I'm working on, and I wanted to find a way to draw the reader in to all of my books at once. Now, most most authors, when they write a reader magnet, they'll pick their lead series and they'll be like, okay, well, this is a prequel to the series, and that's how they hook you in. I wanted to hook you in to where you didn't know who you were reading about, but you wanted to find out. So, I came up with the idea of PMS, the Paranormal Matchmaking Services. Mm -hmm. And none of the characters have actual names. They just have client numbers. Right. premise of the book is that each character will go in and do an interview with this head librarian who then assigns them a book for their life and they become a character in a book based mm-hmm. off of the interview process and the idea with that is that the reader will read that free magnet and go oh well I really liked client XJ425 where are they at in her series <clears throat> the idea is to have the readers just basically go through my books trying to find this character and figure out what their story ended up being. That sounds pretty cool. That sounds pretty cool in general. Uh, now, what I would like to see, and this may be something for your larger author connections there, is to buy for author takeover. Like, for a novelette, not a, real, not a long story, but like, you loan out your characters to another author, you take her characters and you write a novelette off of it. I mean, that wouldn't be off the table, and there are a decent bit of authors that I think would probably be down for that. Uh-huh. Finding a good set of series that um, that would work together well. Right. Well, not even the series, just the characters. Yeah. Like, just the character sheets. Like, here, you get my pawns, I'll get your pawns. Because tarot readers do that all the time. We'll swap decks and play with our, right. you know, I'll do a reading with her deck, and she'll do a reading with my deck, that type of thing. See, the only problem with that, with authors, though, is that you each character has, like, their own specific feel. And uh-huh. it, it wouldn't be impossible, 
to come across with that feel, but I also wouldn't want to offend the fans of, say, Alexis Osborne. I read her stuff, she reads mine. Right. If I took her characters from her new engineering fate book and I wrote about them, I feel like I wouldn't be able to do them enough justice because I can't get in their heads like she can. True, but I think it would be interesting what that character would tell you compared to what that character tells her. That's true. I've always thought that that would be really interesting because that's how I discovered the Guild of Terror deck is I borrowed it from a reader and the like, here, read with this. Okay. Ooh, I love this deck. And she's like, glad. I'm glad you do because I hate the fan deck. So I think it would be cool to watch you and uh, not the one you named, but there's another one that posts often with you. Maybe Octavia Core. She and I do a lot of Yeah. Yeah. That one. I think it would be interesting to watch y'all play with each other's characters. That would, honestly, her characters. I When I had first gotten introduced to her on Facebook, I had never read one of her books. I had no <laughs> idea what she wrote. She and I were just in a mutual author's help group, and we clicked really well. We're... we're pretty similar as far as like our ideologies and our processes and mm -hmm. procrastination like we're we're pretty similar and she's actually a two-part team. Mm -hmm. team and their process is really cool i think that her characters are definitely they're definitely a different twist she definitely has a really good she does a good job of making herself stand out. And right. her characters would honestly be really fun to play with just because they're so out there and wild. And I feel like if I gave her some of my characters, I would just be watering her down at this point. Oh, I don't think so. I think her and Lucius would get along real well. They probably would. As a matter of fact, when I did my first unboxing video on TikTok for the Thirst book, when I got my first author copy, she actually went live with me to help me get a little bit of viewage there and we just talked back and forth for like an hour and a half about that book we read the whole like we read the first five chapters of it mm -hmm. and she she seemed to really get a kick out of the whole Bram Stoker bend there so she probably would enjoy playing around with that right. a little bit yep. and Sandy I use my clairvoyancy all the time I don't have a switch that turns it off but this is actually a genre that's most people probably wouldn't think that I read, and I read a lot of it, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that was Joe's first introduction to my literary choices, actually. Oh, that was an interesting night. So, like, one of his favorite book series, we, we were going through the new couple experience of, like, I sleep, like, lights off, no sound, nothing. He's like, no, I need a television or noise or something. And so we had tried television, and I was like, yeah, that's really screwing with me. All the dead, like, ways to kill your lover are, like, really not rocking my sleep cycle here. Um, <laughs> like, it's really messing me up. Can we do something else? He's like, sure, I have Audible. And I went, okay, fine. I have no clue what he reads. And so he starts this book, and it's in, like, chapter three, and I'm laying there and I'm trying to fall asleep. And then like chapter four, blah, blah, blah. 
chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. Finally, I had to get out of bed because I was like, I want to go to sleep. I really like the book, but I really want to go to sleep. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay, so back to dead people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, you'll take axe murderers over romance novels. <laughs> yeah, I'll take, like, I can go to sleep to this, but I'm going to have screwed up dreams <laughs> and be really uncomfortable with you in the morning and not know why. And over, like, I got really into that and I was awake for four hours. <laughs> so, yeah, good taste in books. He does love his romances. Um, definitely, and especially the sci-fi based ones. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, it, which wasn't a genre I really got into. Like, I don't know. I got, like, I've liked my sci-fi books. I've liked, you know, like, I dearly love Mary Renault. Um, so you were talking about Persian characters. The first part that pops into my head is the little Persian boy. Um, but that's all based in Rome and blah, blah, blah. If I remember correctly, it's been a while. Like, it's been a hot minute. Um, but no, I, I, like, I got into that. I, I'm into sci-fi, typically not the sci-fi romance crossover until him. And then I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I didn't think I would like that, but I like that. Yeah, and... You know, that got into another whole genre for him. Now he's having to go in Kindle Unlimited to have the books I want to talk about. <laughs> so what's the process like getting on Amazon? Amazon makes it pretty easy to publish your books. Um, they do that because the end goal for them is to have exclusivity. They offer a lot more perks if you're in programs like Kindle Unlimited versus if you just publish as a wide author now. I have books that do both, like the Mothman and the By Any Other Name. Those are both Kindle Unlimited books. So those are exclusive to Amazon as far as ebooks. And then paperback, they let you go pretty much wherever with. Mm -hmm. So, um, and those get paid out kind of like by page reads. So let's say you read 200 pages of the book and didn't like it. I would still get paid for the 200 pages that kept you interested. Um, right. They're dashboard process is pretty streamlined now when you get into ads though that's where it gets a little tricky because they they don't do a very good job of explaining how their ad process works now there right. are people out there like brian cohen who offers ad classes that are free twice a year to kind of break it down mm -hmm. from an author who has done it for years and understands mm -hmm. it and bless that man for his free programs because if i had not taken his free program i would have been drowning in ad campaigns i mm -hmm. i like i said marketing is not my forte so i am very glad there are people out there willing to share that information right but Amazon, as a whole the process is pretty nice and they usually have some guidelines as far as you know having to upload your book by a certain time if you set a pre-order or you can't push dates back too far but now that they've got that since covid hit they've been pretty lenient on extending deadlines and working with authors to make sure your account doesn't get um, punished or penalties applied to it because, you know, it's, it's a rough time for everybody right now. It is. So any hope of it, of Mothman to Flame going to Audible? Um, yeah, I actually don't have any of my books Audible yet because I've 
literally only been publishing books since June 30th. Yeah. And I haven't done a whole lot of research as far as how Audible works, but I've got an author friend in book, on book talk that is supposed to walk me through the process and show me how that works. So hopefully I can offer all of my books on Audible very soon because I hear yeah. that that's a very big portion of readers. Yeah, and Goodreads. I do think yeah. they're up on Goodreads. Yeah. You know, which I need to go and fill, fill that up and, you know, update your feedback on that one. By all means, reviews are very much appreciated. Not a problem, not a problem. I enjoy doing, like, Goodreads and stuff because you, you know, this is for authors of all of All the authors come on. They don't come on if I don't like their book. I think your book is dry. I will not have you on. <laughs> but, now, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, yeah, not a problem. So, what else are you doing? So You've got two events currently planned that I'm specifically talking about. I've actually got, I think I have four events coming up this year. Four. Okay. For December. I am going to be at the Pagan Pride Festival on Saturday with you. Yep. And then I will be, on September 11th, I will be at the Paranormal Convention at Moundsville. Oh, that's a fun convention. Take your business cards. I am Take very your excited. business cards. Huh? I have to get more of those printed. But yes. It's definitely on the agenda. Yeah. <laughs> and I understand there's a new metaphysical store up there. You make want to make sure you stop in there, too. I will have to make a note of that because I do not know. Yeah. Um, uh, Lee was telling me about it last Tuesday. There's a new metaphysical store up there. So definitely go stop in there, do some PR, you know, here's a copy of our book. Here's where you can order more type thing. I don't know. Authors used to do that a lot. I've got some people on my Facebook that swear by it, that swear by going in and just pushing your book. But a lot of places nowadays will only buy your books if it's available from certain places it has to be available from certain retailers that they go through for their stock and inventory there's there's a whole lot that goes on behind the scenes as to how okay. a book decides to carry your book now indie stores smaller stores personal run businesses they have a little bit more leeway because you know they're not afraid to buy from amazon they're not afraid to take a little bit of risk because they've taken risks themselves and that's how they got there right um I actually had lofty goals to have at least one of my books in the Morgantown Barnes and Nobles because they have a section that specifically says local authors. Uh -huh. And I did the Mothman book in that section. And I mean, for $49 and a little bit of work on IngramSparks.com, I can actually make it happen. Right. I just go in and actually talk to them and make sure that Ingram Sparks carries it as a wide distribution book. And once that's all done, it's just a matter of them ordering it and putting it on the shelf. Mm -hmm. But now going into like, you want to use the pagan marketing community and go in and visit these little shops. I definitely will have to. I've made it a point to follow quite a bit more of the people who will be attending the event and mm -hmm. I'm hoping to be able to use this event and the paranormal convention 
and my other events to network a little better because I don't, I don't have a whole big network right now, but I mean, that comes with time. So. It does. And it comes with building those personal relations and, you know, Hey, or, you know, let me come down to a book signing. Let me, right. and this is how I do a lot of things. I'll come down to a reading in a day in your shop for readings before COVID. Now I'm no, but yeah. you know, that type of thing. Um, to get you in that market, but also it drives business to them. It's a trade-off. You sell books, that type of thing. Yeah. Now I do so have, after that, what else you got on the calendar? I've got, in October, I'll be in Charleston for the West Virginia Book Festival. Mm -hmm. And that's a two-day event in the end of October. And then in November, I actually was convinced by a couple of my author friends to attend a locked up in Ohio at the Mansfield prison. So I'll be going to that and it's strictly an author signing. Ah, cool. So, so you got fun. good pens or are you doing, please don't do the Sharpie. Please do not do the Sharpie. Get some good pens. I am definitely going to get the pens. I actually wanted to have some swag on my table that was different from everybody else's and my tagline for my business cards is um, open the door to your own inner sanctum. Let me give you the key. So I ordered off of Amazon a whole bunch of antique brass keys that are about this big and a whole bunch of like necklace twine so that when you come to my table, you're getting the key to unlock your own, you know, your own inner mm -hmm. sanctum. And hopefully, you know, making the key, picking the key, making the necklace, keeps you at my table long enough that I can engage you about one of the books and show you what you're missing. Cool. Very cool. So what is this open your inner sanctum? I mean, that's not a book. That's none of your books have the words inner sanctum on them. So what's that about? So um, when I was first building my brand, I kind of referred to my hidey hole as like my dragon, my dragon horde, my inner sanctum where all the things go on behind the scenes. And I actually refer to my author newsletter as Remy's Inner Sanctum. Um, mm -hmm. And so I kind of, you know, I was like, you know, well, let's just keep going with this because everybody's got their own little Pandora's box of things that they don't know about themselves or mm -hmm. things they don't realize they have or things they don't realize they enjoy. What if we turned our books into the keys for these people to discover a side of themselves they didn't know they had. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah, very interesting. And your author's newsletter you can actually subscribe to at your website. Yeah, which is just your name, Remy. Okay, you're gonna have to say that last name. Remy Cavalich. Yes. Spell that web address for our listeners. It's R E M Y C A V. I-L-I-C-H dot com. Yep. Go check it out. You can get the books right there. You can hop in and it'll get you into the sequels because there's a number of them. I mean, you've got sudden, you know, you've got seven books on a waiting list here. I do, yeah. So I do have a question. You were talking about your lofty goal was to get the book into your local Barnes and Noble and the local author section. So now that, like, you're, you're like, yeah, the brass ring is here and your finger is like right there. Have you, do you have a new lofty goal? Originally, my loftiest goal was to get someone like Penguin or Random House to publish one of my books. 
but after having a spin in the indie world, I don't think that that's really a goal that I feel like I need to meet anymore. I guess my next goal would just be to hit a 10 book backlog. I want to have at least 10 books that you could pick from and at least five of those that tie in together. I want to finish a whole series. That's the, that's the next lofty goal. I'm one of those people that if I like something, I drag it out and I like all my characters. So it's really hard to just give it a stopping point and not keep going like the 20 book series. I don't know. I really think Thirst could go 20 books easily. I mean, it probably could. It definitely probably could. And, um, you know, once I get the second book and the third book out and see how they go and where they go, then um, we'll have to, you know, see if there's room for more there or if it's time to move on to something different. But I feel like if I do go any farther than the third book for the, for the Thirst, I will probably have a decent sized gap in between of them so that I can have time to do the werewolf because I'm, I'm really excited to do those. Right. And I think that's another one that you can, and this is what I see a lot of authors do. They'll take minor characters in their first book and give them their own book. Yeah. With the werewolf series, I have 10 books planned for that series. And that's not mm -hmm. just like, I wanted to have like four or five books that were just the main story. And then I wanted to do books where you actually got to see the relationship dynamics and you got to see the characters that you really enjoyed actually find their romantic. Mm -hmm. Cool. And so that will be fun because, you know, once, once you get to through the main story, I mean, you could stop if you want to. But you're going to have a favorite character in there that you're like, I want to know what their story was. I don't want to see the third person, you know, everybody's getting watched story. I want to see what they felt, you know, how they worked through it, what was going through their mind when this happened or that happened. So mm -hmm. that'll be really fun to play with. Right. I think that'll be awesome. All right, darling, we'll come back when the next ones are released. Lord knows I'll be waiting for the third book on the third series because that'll be fun. And take your time no rush no rush there isn't like 200 years of tapping the finger going okay what really went on with lichen and poe yeah yeah and why is he not in the historical novels and how do vampires keep their personal life under wraps now that there's facebook you know that's a really good premise <clears throat> could you i mean I don't think I explored it enough in the first book, but I might have to go back and add it in a little bit more in the second and the third. But I could not imagine you know, just maybe writing, let's say you wrote a love note to somebody in the 1900s, and then 150 years later, you find it in a museum uh -huh. as an exhibit. And you're just like, oh, oh, how did that get there? Somebody must have stumbled across my personal diary from 200 years ago. Mm -hmm. They're immortalizing it. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, going on vacation to Virginia and stumbling through a mansion and going, what the hell do they do with the wall? The wall used to be here. Where are the <laughs> They changed the carpet. This ain't historically correct and just getting all upset about it. And of course, because you're in this culture and this idealism, 
Facebooking it and they're going, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you'll see in the first and second books with the series, um, Lucian doesn't like cell phones. And it's not because he doesn't know how to use them, it's just because he doesn't have the patience for them at all. No. Not at all. Yeah. But, you know, or I don't know. Vampires having to figure out how to use social media. Yeah. You know, they have to now use it. So what do they do in 50 years when they go, why have you not updated your profile picture? Well, and see, here's another aspect of it, too. There are a lot of people that subscribe to the whole vampires can't, you know, that you can't see them in a picture film. You can't see them in a mirror. Well, with the whole mirror thing, mirrors used to be silverbacked, and that's why you couldn't see them. But now they're done with cheaper materials. So realistically... You could totally see a vampire in a mirror behind a camera. Yeah. Well, and that's the whole thing with the uh, not appearing in films because film used to be silver. Yep. Now it's not. It's digital. Yeah. Yeah. That's also why you buy antique mirrors and put them in front of your door. <laughs> and check the reflection of people coming in to make sure they appear up. <laughs> Just, you know, for those that understand the culture of vampires, or even that's another avenue to take. Because there's a big, there. well, there was and still is a very big push of vampire cultism in, like, Las Vegas. Lucian could take a vacation and go, what the hell are you people doing? <laughs> I kind of I tried to bring out that whole vibe whenever... He realized that his great 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 niece was opening a vampire museum and he shows up and he's in period clothing and he's like oh well i definitely fit in but you didn't even spell the word vampire right mm -hmm. yeah you know like great job kid why did you fail english <laughs> Or, or like his reaction when he sees all of these things um, from vampire culture and they're just in exhibits. And he's like, oh, well, I actually got to watch him print that book off when he wrote it. You know, when, when, when Polidori wrote this book, this, this is his original book, isn't it? And I mean, most normal people wouldn't know that. And, you know, uh -huh. it, it kind of gives a little bit of leeway into the introduction where you're like, oh, well, maybe... Maybe there's something about him that's not 100% on the up and up. And it right. kind of sets you off, but she just doesn't seem to care. Right. I was kind of going for a millennial feel with Izzy because, I mean. Right. And I think he's done really good with Izzy. Like, she doesn't get a clue for a good while there. Yeah. You know, And then when she does, it's like, oh, really? She's like, oh, this is how it ends. All right, well, here you go. Yep. And I think his facial expressions were more like, help. <laughs> oh, to have been a fly on the wall in those events. I mean, oh, yes. But that's the... To, yeah, go for it. Going back to my process, when I write books, I hear the characters in here. They talk right. to you. It's not like right. not like schizophrenic kind of weird stuff. It's, it's. I feel like a lot of authors would agree when I say that we live with a weird sort of split personality disorder. We have 
hundreds of people just running around in our heads and they don't always listen to us and half the time they don't make sense and until you get their story out they're not going anywhere mm-hmm. so when i was trying to write the first uh heated scene in the thirst every time i would try to take lucian's shirt off of him in the actual words i would just hear him in my head going uh no no not like that uh-uh i'm not that uncivilized come on now give me some credit and i struggled for two weeks two weeks brainstormed with other authors with readers for two weeks to find a logical way to convince this very prim and proper and somewhat introverted man to get half naked on a beach mm-hmm. the character just was not having it well i i had a question about that why did you not put him in a front in a french shirt that the buttons are the like the cuffs but that's actually the buttons are that way it would have made it easier to come off so i kind of like the old poet shirts and uh-huh. i was kind of aiming for something that he would have adopted around his time period and those shirts were pretty popular back then the whole lace front shirts were really popular with guys who were you know like like the fast and loose kind of dudes they wore clothing that showed off their chest and their big puffy mm-hmm. sleeves i wanted him to be flagrant about his attire from the eight you know from from his time period but i also wanted it to still be classy and that was kind of where the medium fell there Okay, yeah, because it's like, okay, I get to, you know, undoing the lace, that's cute, but there should have been some buttons, like some cuff buttons in there that he had to fiddle with, and that could have been like a good paragraph of him fiddling with it. <laughs> Think about that later. <laughs> You've got some more historical scenes there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because that's that same time period. It's the other side of it. Yeah. You know, when he gets a little bit of money. Okay. I really like that you talk about your characters kind of living with you. Because Anne Rice does the same thing. Like, Lestat will show up at her house sometimes to have coffee. But here's the harder question. Do you put people you know in your books? Yes. Do you kill them? <laughs> Not yet. Not you yet. should. I, yeah, I'm probably missing out on a, quite a good bit of free therapy there. but Exactly. <laughs> and actually, so look forward to a book that has a craven and, you know, a... a a Jonathan that she kills off really quickly in like page three. Uh, <laughs> Just because this. Yeah. <laughs> I actually put a bit of myself in every single character. So when you read my books, I mean, obviously I'm not a 200 year old vampire dude from Italy, but some of his characteristics and mannerisms and the way he thinks and the things that have happened to him, there's a little bit about every character that is me. Mm-hmm. So, a different picture of you. Yeah. It's like a hundred different facets of the same diamond. And I'm just showing mm-hmm. you one portion at a time. We're peeling right. back the onion one layer at a time. Well, very cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you for coming on, darling. And we'll talk with you again soon. Thank you for having me. You have a good evening. 
Alright, let's get us moved over. Yes. And rebranded. Yeah. Um, ah, where did I put it? You see everybody. There we go. Yay! Alright, guys, go get our books. They are a good evening read. A very good evening read. He ain't into the smut. It's not there. Uh, not there that much. You can get through that. Um, for a little bit, you know, when I was first starting to read the genre, I would skip the smut scenes, especially when they don't, uh, you know, connect for me. Um, but with hers, I went through them, and they are actually pretty decent. All right, yeah. so I've got some questions. Yes, you do. Um, I know Ashley has one, and I thought I saw another um bah, 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 bah. no ashley that's the first well two ashley questions um one's for ashley's mother-in-law okay um and that is so mother-in-law is 92971 is jonathan really in love with crystal does she pursue the relationship with him and is it mutually beneficial all right, so tonight I'm using the Romney Tarot. I like the Romney Tarot. Ooh. Yeah. That's a fun deck. It is. So looking at this, I think that it very much is she into him. I think that the pursuit will occur on its own, as we see here. You know, the sun card popping up here, it'll magically happen on itself. And I think that it'll be a very profitable one. And then Ashley asking for themselves, 82696, is all of this excessive energy that has been manifesting itself through my dreams slowing down again? It's slightly scary. Also, do scary leprechauns and dreams have any meaning? Yes, you ate too much sausage. What? <laughs> How does. I thought you ate too much Lucky Charms to get leprechauns in your dreams. No, it's when you're processed, and you do this all the time on You eat weird food and then go to bed. <laughs> okay. All right. So that takes care of the leprechaun thing. Now back to the other thing. I think it's just building up. I think you're also not looking at something and it's going to be popping out through your dreams. Remember, you are in control of it. That's the fun part about the, the dream world. You get to do a lot of fun stuff. See, I wish I got to do fun things in my dreams. I always get stuck, and then I wake up and go, you know, I could have done a lot of things different. Yep. Like, I don't know. Does anyone else, like, wake up from a dream, and then you get mad and want to go back to sleep just so you can go back and do the dream differently? Like, it's so Your latest dream of being murdered, like, 30 years ago was quite funny. Well, yeah, you're back to watching, like, murder drama or, like, investigation discovery stuff. Yes, because we were at the hotel, and then I came home, and it was like, I need to finish the series. Yes, I spent... Series. I have to finish stuff. I know, and you had to, like, what the worst part was, and I can't get upset, because finding anything on actual hotel cable, especially when they don't program the television, is a nightmare to begin with. Um, but yeah, Amish murder, like murder in Amish country, like who thought, who pitched this show and said, wait, I got it. Uh-huh. Murder in Amish country. 
Uh, I'm just sitting here like, oh my god, there is just a little bit too much churning butter and killing people. Like, that's where I'm at. All right. Yeah, I need to learn lucid dreaming, Brenda. Like, do you teach a class? Who teaches a class on lucid dreaming? Okay. I'll create. I like, I suck at that. Like, I typically, if I figure out I'm dreaming, I wake up. Right, because that's your fear response. Instead of going, oh, I'm dreaming. I can do anything I want here. Well, and I kind of get that. Yeah. But it's not always like I'm fearful when I'm having that realization. It's just like, okay, this gone way crazy. Like, yeah. I'm so far off the beaten path of reality. Um, But yes. Yes, but like, dreaming can be quite fun and experiencing. Um, let's see. One, I think Peanut will be fine. Um, that's Kathy, Facebook user. We please read hers. Um, so seven twenty-eight sixty-two. Any specific time frame I can expect Triz to contact me? Um, I would say within nine weeks. I really still feel like he's working on his framework. Yes, we did see the article in the break room. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. We've got some stuff to talk about, too. So let me pull up my news feed. Oh, yeah. Well, while you're doing that, because I've technically got mine up. Um, uh, so I, I'm going to ask uh, a very pointed question to one of our viewers. Ashley. Dear, darling, where's Sunny? I want to see Sunny online. We went through a lot to get that computer up, girl. That's all I'm going to say. I'll leave it alone. Right. God, I swear I'm going to move the news feed to somewhere else. We do have sad news for our viewers. Jeannie Robertson passed away at 77, very unannounceably. Well, although, unfortunately, Jerry, her husband, a.k.a. Left Brain, died also this summer. Right. I like, was kind of afraid when I saw that news item. I'm like, that's one of those couples that they're going to be, like, you know, a week apart. I was kind of surprised that she made it as long as she did. Like, those are two peas in a pod. Very much so. And they were a love story that really reminded me of ours and actually gave you your nickname. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I'm the left brain here. Um, but, yes, like, I don't know. I, I think, she, you know, horrible thoughts I have is, one, she probably just had to go because he got lost. Um, two... <laughs> Um, and this is probably the most inappropriate comment I could make is that Beaver's ship finally came in. Yes, but I wonder if he can read if uh, there are you who appreciate Jeannie Robertson's comedy that's funny. Yeah. Wrong, dark, but funny. But here's the other thing. I wonder if Ryder has figured out how to read the wheel yet. 
true. We need true. to follow up on this. You know, if you know Tony is watching this, please, 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 um, come on and let us know the outcome because there were some tied stories to these events occurring. Um, well, because and um, you know, and I know we're making a little light here in the midst of a really bad situation, but then again, Jeannie Robertson's thing was find the humor, right? And we've long appreciated that. We've recommended her to literally everyone. You know, go watch. It's fun. You'll love her. Um, you know, so this is how we're kind of dealing with this one, is kind of reflecting back on things she has said. Mm -hmm. And, you know, trying to be, you know, in spirit. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, Jeannie and herself taught me a few things about my left brain. So that would save us a lot of trouble. One, he's a broom person. I am not. He can deal with the broom. I will sit back and wait and get the gun when we need it. Mm-hmm. Um, two, I do not number my shopping list to make sure he can get through the express line. I don't need that much lard. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. Hi, Sunny. Nice to see you online. Yes. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, And great to see you. I, I had to give her grief, though. I did. I had to give her grief. Um, Like, that's my payment. <laughs> like, I, I give her grief. Uh, <laughs> but, yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, I kind of was afraid that that would be how they would go. I know. Um, like they, they were just like, I don't know if anyone else has had that experience of watching like older couples and seeing that kind of thing play out multiple times that some people it's like, they'll both go as far as the other one will go. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they'll live to 100 as long as the other one lives till 100. Like, by God, you know, one of us is, you know, as long as we don't give up, we're good. You got and, 12. Yeah. But then once one goes, it's like the other one's like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do now? You know, like, what do I do? I don't know how to function. I just, mm-hmm. you know... That's it. That was my reason for sticking around is, you know. Right. That's it. Um, you know, not in a negative, like, this is the only person that I'm sticking around for. But in that, like, I don't, like, basically, they're, they're, they're two separate people, but functionally, they're one human being. Mm-hmm. Like, they just cannot function without the other. Like, what do I do now? Um, and so I've oh, seen a right. lot of... I've seen a lot of couples, like, and especially if you watch the obituaries, <laughs> but no, like, I've seen a bunch of couples do that, uh-huh. and, and especially like sixty-five plus, is that one goes and not long after the other one goes, right? Um, and it's always sad, but at the same time, it's kind of, I don't know, sort of touching in a way that you know, hey. Right. Like, and she's one of the few comics that I could actually watch. 
and not get aggravated by the amount of curse words they can fit into a sentence. That is not comedy to me. Well, then again, that that's an unfortunate thing, though, with me. <laughs> I know some of y'all got to get tired of me because I just can't keep F-bombs out of my mouth. Well, I understand that, honey. That's why I buy you, you know, cigarettes. But at the same time, it's like some of these comedians, and granted, comedy has gotten so hard for them here lately because, you know, they don't want to offend any. Jeannie Robertson's never done that. I loved her stuff. I would turn her stuff on before I even met you. She prepped me for you. You know, you prepped up 10 years in advance for me by buying me the closet and the spices that you needed to have a relationship with me. Yeah, I was building my dowry. He was learning, apparently, how to deal with me. <laughs> you know, you're not allowed to pick hotels or shampoo the carpets. Nope. If we go to Hawaii, you are not taking care of the arrangements. But I'd save some money on that cab fare. Oh, I'm sure you will save some money on that cab fare, but no, you are not doing that. No, I've never been a Dave Chappelle fan. Like, I just, mm -mm, no. Yeah. No. Like, I don't find him funny. Now, I do find, however, I will say, however, surprising person I found funny was Martha Stewart. She's hilarious. Like her celebrity roasts are hilarious. Yes. That is that is one person I like say whatever you want. I don't care. It's gonna be hilarious. Like well, oh my god. Martha Stewart, you don't expect it. I know. All of a sudden Martha Stewart is hilarious. Like, oh my I god. Like she have you seen her in her little love affair with Snoop Dogg? Like, I thought that would be an on-screen only thing. Oh, no, they're planning dinner plans going out. And I'm like, these two don't go together. But they do. But they do. Like, somehow they do. It works. It's kind of cool. Yeah. It, it like, strangely works. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. It's Mutton Jeff, but at the same time, it's funny. I did not see her Curb episode last uh, yet. Again, oh, we Chris. don't watch TV. I don't watch TV. I I think a Martha Stewart. Like I've heard about how Martha Stewart got the Martha Stewart house. Like how? that. That was like downright. Like she basically had dinner parties, and everyone she invited got told like, "Go do this." So I I don't think finding out she was a total diva would be a surprise to me. Like I remembered reading reading that years ago because I think there was like a I don't know that it was a book as much as an exposé kind of article like uh -huh. being friends with Martha Stewart and what that was really like. But yeah, it kind of it didn't paint her in the best light. Like, she's the friend that you go over and you think you're just doing one thing. Mm -hmm. And it turns into something else entirely. Like, she had a plan. Like, you you are never going over there for just the thing she said. Uh -huh. It's sort of like I had the friend in college that, I, and I finally learned, um, I, and it started with, you know, Hey, Joe, let's go out to breakfast. I'm buying. 
And I went, oh, okay, cool. Like the person who never buys is buying. All right, awesome. I'm down. This is cool. And um, yeah, basically caught me without coffee so that like it didn't set off any alarm bells. Like what, what, wait a minute, what? Um, so we start driving to get breakfast. And the next thing I know, I end up at a <laughs> triad health project, mother of all mailings. Mm-hmm. event that had cookies and orange juice, if I remember correctly. That was the breakfast I got taken out to. I also spent the day folding donation letters. And is this why you will not go to lunch, I mean, to breakfast with me now? Like, do I contact this friend and, and deal with this trauma directly? You know, it leaves me very suspicious because this didn't happen once. I didn't just get tricked twice. It was the third one before I was like, wait a minute. I know what's happening. And it was like, oh, man, we're like three blocks away from Triad Health Project. Mm hmm. You did not seriously pull this again, did you? Like, you've already volunteered me, signed my name up, and I'm expected. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like, oh. uh, But yes. Yeah. Um, I'm very a- suspicious of free breakfast. That's what I am. You're very suspicious of breakfast in general. Basically. Um, but no, there, then I was very happy to see in the news, a Florida couple get arrested for stupid. Well, and yeah, it was the worst kind of stupid. So on Friday we were, uh, there was a question about like, okay, so how do people get caught on their vaccination cards? Here's a hint. If you are trying to travel and you are going to fake your vaccination cards, please don't do it for children that are not old enough to get vaccinated. Like, that's just a word to the wise. You would have thought people would have figured that out, that giving, like, what was it, an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old or something? hmm Yeah, like, they, they really, well, their whole thing was they wanted to go to Hawaii and they could either go and then quarantine for 14 days and have their vacation, which they didn't want to do, or they could show up with vaccination cards and Hawaii was, was going to be, or would generally be like, okay, go ahead, have your vacation. You know, it'll be cool. Um, they opted for door number two but in doing so, um, they basically, um, well, no, not even that old. Uh, children born in 2016 and 2017, meaning they are respectively four and five, um, they had vaccination cards. Like, how not paying attention to the news did you have to be? To, to 
think that this was going to work. Right. Like, oh, it killed me. I'm just sitting here like, you know, I, I love that criminals are stupid. Like, I... One of those, it's like, this is how you get caught doing something. Yeah. This is how you get caught doing something. Yeah. Very much so. It's, yeah. It's like, really? Come on. So, yeah, no. If you're looking for tips to not get caught, that's one. Mm -hmm. Like, at least make sure the child is old enough to be vaccinated. Right. Um, you know, or don't and go to Hawaii and go to jail. Right. Um, you know, that's a different quarantine experience, I'm sure. Um, because I I think if both like wasn't it both uh did they get rich sent back? No, they did they been arrested. arrested. Yeah. Um so yeah, of course they're getting fined. You know, we know that part. Um, I'm just wondering what happened to their kids, because those are two very small children. I would now, say they've either been placed in family care or they've been placed um, into foster care, because their parents are criminals. Right. And additionally, like, this is a really crappy vacation. Like, I don't think anyone's going to be looking at photos of that one. Or better yet, like, your vacation included mug shots. Can we just clarify that? Like, that never indicates a good vacation. Like, I don't think it... I think their kids will be bringing that up at an anniversary somewhere in the distant future. Like, you remember that time we went to Hawaii and y'all got arrested? <laughs> good times, good times. <laughs> right, and they can do that in five years. Well, yeah. So it looks like that we're finally getting some framework on some spending. Nancy Pelosi's finally starting to take care of some social social packages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, three point five trillion dollars of sweeping economic packages to expand the social net that you know President Biden has made a significant signature agenda item, as it should be. Like, we need to, for, for at least four years, we have ignored our need. We have ignored the most vulnerable population we have. It's time that they get back to it. Yeah. Well, and not just four years. Like, we've had 40 years of ignoring social safety net. Mm-hmm. At least. At least. Like, between um, minimum wage as well as just the totality of our social benefit system. Right. Um, like, it, it, it doesn't work. It, it's, it doesn't work now. Right. It hasn't been working for a very long time. Right. Um, you know, it, it's... And moreover, my biggest problem, and I don't know if this is addressed in there, and you can maybe answer that, is are we finally looking at the environment we're actually in economically, like employment-wise, in terms of like actual jobs people are working to really understand 
Like yeah. that's the other component of this is all of our all of our safety net systems are built around this idea of you to to qualify for them to continue to qualify for them etc. Um, we want you to improve yourself, but not to a point in which like you're actually doing well. Right. We want you to find a job. We don't want you to create one. Right. We don't, you know, like it's this back and forth. Right. While we're looking at an employment situation that that doesn't really apply. Mm-hmm. Like this is a social safety net system built for the idea that, okay, you might two to three times in your life have to hit this. Mm-hmm. You know, like unemployment, for example. Um, that you may chain, you know, end up leaving a job two or three times, probably between 20 and 30, and then you're going to find a job that you stick with and blah, 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 you work until you either drop dead or you hit retirement age. Um, you get a nice watch, a little party, and a pension. Right. Um, and that hasn't existed, like, that's been dying since I before I was born. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, let's get real. I, I'm turning 40 next year. That's a long flipping time mm-hmm. um, to keep holding on to this idea of what employment is and how these programs need to work mm-hmm. um, regarding, you know, because they're all built around this idea of employment, mm-hmm. of either getting people back to work or otherwise, you know, figuring out why they can't work. Mm-hmm. And they're all built around, at best, at their best, um, you know, 40 years ago, at best, they were built around the idea of subsistence living. Like, you're right there on the vulnerable threshold. Like, mm-hmm. you're not really, like, you're, you're warehoused. Right. Like, you're not really living, you're not having experience, you're not doing anything, you are in an apartment or a house, and that's it. Right. Like, yeah. Um, I, no. They're, they're crap systems. I Like, there are well, parts of them I hate. Well, and see, here's my problem. All the numbers do not focus in on... Uh, the f- real working of America today. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they cut off your unemployment, so you do DoorDash while you're looking for your career job. Well, you found a job, so my your unemployment number goes up. Yeah. Or if you're doing DoorDash and, you know, Uber and Lyft, and you're working as a freelance writer, well, that's four jobs. So that's four points off the unemployment list. The whole thing, like this whole American Relief Act, this whole COVID relief packages, not one part of it was for the independent worker. Not one part of it was for the 1099s. Mm-mm. No, it completely, it completely ignored that segment. Because at a, at a legislative level, we're still acting like, you know, one, we're, we're we're still kind of barely processing this whole women in the workplace concept, unless we're talking about you know, WIC, welfare, TANF, 
all like all of those programs. Mm -hmm. um, then we definitely want you to go back to work. We don't want to pay for childcare, but we'll figure that out. Um, you know, we'll argue about it a lot um, and not really care about the fact that you may be in a situation where you're barely making more than the cutoff. So functionally, you would because that cutoff is at an idiotically low level, mm -hmm. um, you're barely making more than the cutoff and for these programs um, that subsidize childcare. And effectively, the cost of childcare has shot up so much that you're effectively paying for the privilege to be there. Right. I actually went through that with someone that I worked with. Mm -hmm. That between insurance and childcare, I it just boggled me. Like, how, you're not really turning a profit, right? Like, you're working a lot of hours. You're putting up with a lot of crap, and effectively, you're literally at the point in which your entire income is paying for healthcare and daycare right like and so of course they had like you know the side hustle you know Cincy 31 whatever um Avon and a couple others um that was the actual money they made and it just it, it killed me that like you're good at your job like right. you are a hard worker you are already putting in 40 hours a week and you literally don't get a dime of that. Mm -hmm. like, not a penny. And you have to do these other things just to break even. Right. I mean, it, it just, it, I, I don't understand that. Well, and what I don't get, and this is just things that aggravate me. When we go through them every year, we have to pay 38% income because our employers doesn't. We have to supply or deal with our own health care, buy-in, whatever. Um, we have to deal with and work with, you know, example, you know, my business has shifted. Like, I'm doing an event next week, and then I'm not doing any more events this year. You know, two events. Last year, we done, what, five? And I was done. If we did that many. If we did that many. And then the year before, like, we ran li almost literally every weekend. Like, we had, like, one weekend a month on average. We were on the road three weekends a month at man. Yeah. Sometimes four. Sometimes we do, you know, double events and that type of thing. So mm -hmm. where was my COVID? Yeah. Oh, but, you know, I shifted and kept my business running, and I got nothing. But a business owner who done nothing didn't even protect her business, much less her customers, got $20,000 that she won't have to pay back. That's bullshit. I get that. All right. So Sandy does have a question. Looks like you're ready to take it. Yep. So Sandy, 11, 1956. Um, will I ever live in a house again? This trailer stuff is for the birds, but it's all I can afford. Looking at it, yes, you will live in a house again. Here's the thing, though. I feel that comes together from a weird way. 
here's what I mean by a weird way when looking at the cards and everything together. You either inherit it or you buy it outright and nobody's happy you have it. And then you're happy that you move into it. You know, when we look at this card here, it clearly shows that you're the one that creates the opportunity. All right, so there was one. Ashley? Yeah, I'm there. I'm there. Okay. Uh, sorry we missed that. And Sonny, you're very welcome. Um, he was thanking for the laptop. Um, so Ashley, 829.91. Well, Sonny, 829.91. What should he major in and will his podcast take off? All right, let's take a look here. Sonny, I'm not sure you're going to like this. I think your podcast takes off, but I think you've got to really get in there and own it. You're still playing with the idea. Get in there and own that. Say what you say, understand what you mean, pull it together. Secondly, I think you need to, to I know you're in manufacturing now, but I really think you should major in business administration because you're good at keeping things in order. You're good at understanding policies and how to bend them. You do that all the time. I think uh, a BA would be great. All right, and Sandy's wheels are turning. Awesome. Yep. All right. What else we got? Um, we were talking together about something earlier. I don't see the article now, but we were talking about it. Oh, McDonald's. Winning a class action. Oh, that I'm actually happy okay, so one, I just want to say, if you're like us, we found out there's a website now called mcbroken.com. It will tell you if, uh, at least according to the last people to send in information, whether or not your local McDonald's has a working or not um, ice cream machine, uh, because that's a big deal. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, apparently, McDonald's sued. Um their ice cream machine vendor. Um, that vendor supplies the ice cream machines for 13,000 odd some McDonald's locations. And they, <laughs> so what happened at McDonald's and what has been happening if you're like us and you absolutely hate that moment that you get there and the long running joke of the ice cream machine is always broken <laughs> is true. Um, is that these machines basically um, will are, are computerized um, and they will error code requiring the vendor to come in and resolve the issue. All right, this other small company um, created a tool that would connect to these machines to tell you what the hell the real problem is because apparently a lot of the time that the machine was broken, um, it was stupid. Like you didn't do something right. It got mad. It now error codes and turns off and you have to wait for this vendor to show up and reset the machine. Um, literally things that could take mere seconds to resolve. Um, so this company created a device that you could attach to the machine, 
would help you diagnose that and move on happily with your lovely ice cream serving experience at your McDonald's. McDonald's loved this. They were able to quickly resolve simple issues, keep the machines running at $18,000 a piece. They want to make their money off these machines. Mm -hmm. They want to get you your ice cream. This is not them being stupid or lazy or they don't want to clean it. Um, so what happened was the machine vendor turns around and sends a cease and desist to this little baby company that made this little, you know, add-on device and says, no, 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 you're infringing. Um, stop that. Um, so McDonald's sued at their ice cream machine vendor to, and actually won the ability to keep these devices working, continue using them, and um, keep those machines running. So you should be getting more ice cream without all the machines broken. Problems. So yeah, we are favoriting McBroken because um, there are times that that's the only thing I can eat. Well, and sometimes, and I've been there, is that sometimes it's just like, this is what I want. Like, I'm like, that's it. Like, I don't, I, I assume other people do that um, as well, is you go to a place because you want one thing. Like, you'll have some other things while you're there, but I'm here for one reason and one reason only. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like, I have to say, even I have the, like, McDonald's thing. Like, right. I get sick, and, like, the only thing I want is a strawberry milkshake. It usually means I'm getting better, but it's the only thing I want. I don't care. It has to be for McDonald's, just about always, um, yeah. because I don't know it hits different. Um, and, you know, hi, I want my McDonald's strawberry milkshake. That's it. That's all I want. That's all I'm interested in. I do not want a milkshake. I don't want a treasure. I don't want a whatever. I don't want a blizzard. That's not what I want. Um, like, it's very specific. And I know you've gotten stuck with that before, you know, while I was sick, in trying to find a McDonald's with a flipping working machine mm-hmm. just to get my stupid milkshake. And I appreciate that. By the way, if I didn't say it then, I am saying it here on air now. I really do appreciate that. Well, you're Um, welcome. But here's the bigger thing. This is a right to repair lawsuit when we get to the basis of it. Yeah. Fundamentally, it's the right to maintain your equipment. Mm -hmm. It's the right to not have to sit there and get caught up in what is effectively a very screwed up repair process. Right. That fundamentally keeps a a company in this case granted i'm not so excited about you know a mega million multinational corporation winning a lawsuit as much as i am it goes back to this is you know fundamentally right to repair and the ability to add on a device since the manufacturer of the device you bought Mm -hmm. is totally comfortable with that machine being down for days or weeks or however long until they show up to service it Mm -hmm. Um, instead of, you know, making that machine more user-friendly from the beginning 
and letting you know, hey, here's the problem. Like, and it's something you can easily remedy. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't close the lid right. You didn't do this right. You didn't whatever. Um, you know, things that are, that, that should be easily rectifiable. Right. That, hi, I'm not that stupid. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you you just turned off. I don't know why you're not working. I don't know what I need to do to make you happy. And or getting into a situation where you have to be a repair technician mm-hmm. just to override the fact that the machine was not properly handled. Mm-hmm. And no matter how much you do to try to resolve the situation, it's unresolvable until you, or, or more importantly, until they enter a code, press a button, do the right thing to tell this machine, hey, try again. Right. Um, it's ridiculous. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, Pedro. You have a great one. Yep. Um, yeah, it's a lot for an ice cream machine. Um, right. When you Do you think, I'm going to ask you to weigh in here, Mr. Techie, that this adds to the Apple debate? I, in a way it does, um, and it's very much kind of the core part of the Apple right to repair problem, Mm -hmm. Um, is fundamentally this is an add-on, now granted this is a little different, um, because in the McDonald's slash ice cream machine issue is an add-on device, Mm -hmm. totally, you know, you're modifying the original equipment. Mm-hmm. Okay, versus Apple goes so far as just replacing something. Right. Either with an actual original Apple part that's been you know, refurbed or mm-hmm. using an alternative part. No, you can't do that. Right. Um that the you know, to to now in the McDonald's situation, they didn't really shut down like they didn't like turn the machines off and say, well, until you remove that, we can't, you, you can't use it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is sort of the Apple approach. Right. That, that's how Apple acts is like, yeah, you screwed up, man. Um, right. so now you can't use it. We control it. Um, what this company did is effectively, you know, use their clout as a larger business because I'm sure selling $18,000 ice cream machines, and I'm sure a service contract, mm-hmm. uh, ends up being some very big money that creates a very large war chest to go after a small company that said, hey, we took some time, we figured out what's going on, and there we go. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, Yeah. Well, we talk about a number of issues, Pedro, and I swear we've banned you before. We have. So let's just add them. There we go, Pedro. Have a good day. Off to Mexico where you belong. And yeah. Or wherever. Wherever, Pedro. Bye bye. Um, I think they were a YouTube user last time. They were. 
Yeah, that's what we have people like that. Uh, Absolutely, but it happens. Um. <laughs> so yeah, but no, what that has to do with the world is effectively simple. We live with this stuff. Yeah. Like, hi to the techie side of Ace and Knight and Techie Joe. Um, right. You know, hi. Guess you didn't no, watch this we show. live with the stuff because that's the stuff that goes on within the psychic industry. We are mm -hmm. dealing with tech problems. Unfortunately, our world is tech. Yeah. Like, literally, you it... You know, it kind of got me a, a while back. This has been a few years. We were working in an event, and this very sweet little old lady um, came up and just bust out laughing and said, that's it, I've seen it all. Because I was sitting at your booth. Oh, this is so cute. Just let me feature this for a moment. Okay. <laughs> okay, go for it, man. Yeah. Um, I think I just have a limit on blocks. No, I can, like, block uh, We can do it all night long. Like, yeah. our viewers kind of like it when we uh, bippity-boppity-ban people. Yep. Um, especially when we say that. Yeah. Um, but no. We must be getting popular because now we're getting hecklers. Yay for the hecklers. Yay. But so anyway, so we're at this event. She busts out laughing because I'm stand, is sitting there on my laptop at your booth. Mm -hmm. And she's like, that's it. I've seen it all. Psychics and computers. Like, the, that, like those two things just don't go together. And I'm sitting here going, if only you understood. Like the networks work off of databases, phone systems. Like there is so much technology now. Your business is based on websites, social media, um, you know, of course, the networks as well. Um, you know, all the different tech that has to come together to make that happen. And it's not the same industry that your grandmother was in. No. You know, she worked it off a typewriter and, you know, a newspaper. Um, and that was great. And it worked. And that was the time period. And she did her, you know. Actually, she didn't even do that. Her job was quite simple. Letters arrived in her box in a big yellow envelope from mm -hmm. a company that put out ads. She mm -hmm. read the letter. She'd done the reading. She got paid three cents a word. Three cents a word. Mm -hmm. Over three letters. Oh, hello again. <laughs> okay. You think my wand is broken, you idiots? Um, so, no, Ashley asked a good question. I think it's a good one for you to take. Does the other side affect tech? Yes. Matter of fact, it affects tech a lot, especially I've been having fun here lately because I'll be sitting back in the office and my, because I'll use speech to talk if I'm like doing a very long comment or something. Mm -hmm. And other words start appearing up and I'm like, delete. And then, you know, few minutes later, the customer will ask about someone crossed over, and the answer has already been appearing on my phone. I blow oh, wow. up to keyboards and mouses all the time. Mm -hmm. We do go through an ungodly number of those. Um, but well, yeah. since I went cordless. Mm -hmm. They seem to handle the energy a lot better. But when I'm doing corded, I've melted keyboards before in the middle of a reading. 
like the key back of the keyboard just starts dripping. Dude, that is not cool. Um, That's but why I don't buy Microsoft keyboards anymore. We buy Logitech because they're built for. Like I've often wondered if I didn't need to upgrade to military grade equipment, mm-hmm. which I did, and then I blew up the motherboard. Hey, there you go. It happens. Um, but no, I'll also say from the tech side, I've run into issues where it's like, I can't even begin to explain to you what happened. I mean, water damage makes perfect sense. I can explain that to you, walk you right through that. I've run into computers. I, I don't know what happened. I can tell you what's wrong with it. I can't tell you how that happened. Ooh, is I it amazing? Oh, ran out of account, so here we go. Oh, okay. Um, but no, it's like I'll be sitting there, and it's like I know what happened. Mm-hmm. I know what's wrong with it. I could sit here and say, yeah, it's a manufacturing defect that took five years to come into play. Um, maybe it's an electrical surge issue. I don't know. It, you know, I'm not seeing anything that tells me this is the problem because typically with hardware issues specifically, um, you typically run into those problems either within 90 days or somewhere way past like the seven to 10 year mark um, because computers do age and just die like they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, capacitors, you know, get old, corrosion occurs, even like if you're in a general household environment, I'll already tell you, you have too much humidity, um, generally speaking, or vice versa, it's too dry. Um, general households are not kept at the same consistent uh, humidity levels that like server rooms are, mm-hmm. or the right temperatures. So, you know, heat damage, water damage, Humidity-based water damage, manufacturing defects, these all occur, but sometimes you're just looking at a system and, you know, of course, electrical things um, like lightning and surges and all that, but sometimes I'm looking at stuff and I'm just like, I don't know what the hell happened. It died. Like, for no good reason. Like, you didn't drop it. You didn't, you didn't do it. Like, you know, talking to, like, customers... You didn't do this. It just died. Um, I actually had that a while back with a client. Um, That was a really weird experience. Um, Of all the things that happened simultaneously that ultimately ended up in that system not working. Um, It's a very proprietary system and it has very like lockdown. Like I couldn't do a whole, whole lot. But, like, I'm just sitting there going, this died, the cable got crimped, Uh, you know, it was just a laundry list. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I don't even know how this worked before. Mm -hmm. Like, unless all these events simultaneously happened, I don't know how this was working for either one of these. You know what I mean? Like, unless both parts... You know, the cable got cramped and this, you know, unit got destroyed at the exact same moment, which doesn't make any sense. One wouldn't cause the other. I don't know how 
you manage to have both these pieces die. Right. But ultimately, we chased our tails <laughs> all through this repair. Um. Oh, God. There's no good answer to that, Ashley. There really isn't. Um, that is a long-standing problem with trying to replace laptop screens um, or replace screens in general. There's no good way. Um, for me to tell you this is the best place to go buy that, and here's why. Um, you'd think it would be a lot easier, especially when I tell you this great big giant secret of, you know, computers, um, laptops especially. There's only so many screens that manufacturers actually buy and use. Um, now, what happens in there is a couple of things. One, each one of those is, like, completely different. Um, and it comes down to things like the revision number on the back of the screen. You can order the exact same part number, and if the revision's wrong, it's totally different. Um, two, a lot of places, like, you, you pretty much have to go look. You have to hope that you're getting a right revision number um, in addition to part number. Um, but you also have to hope that that seller properly identified it. Um, there's, it's, it's a real pain in the butt. That's, you basically want to be looking if I had to give a recommendation, I would say try Amazon because at least they have buyer protection mm -hmm. and a really good buyer protection, and they'll take the return, uh, generally speaking. Yeah. eBay is not so great at that. Um, you can get some really crap sellers. Yeah, it's, to be honest, how old of a laptop are we talking about, Ashley? And I'll give you my, like, honest truth here. Um, is that there's a certain point in laptop age, just don't even try. If the screen's gone, don't even try. Because if we're talking about, like, a four- or five-year-old $300 special, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It, right off the top of the bat, it's not worth it. It is more hassle than you want to deal with. Like two to three years, but the screen was used like once or twice? Okay, so $700 machine, two to three years. Um, oh, what's the brand? Like, you're right there at, like, the tipping point. Like, you could, I could go either way on recommend or don't recommend. Um, because if, like, there's some systems I would go, okay, because it's going to be cheap. And then there's... Oh, uh, so <laughs> oh, that has to be a brand that's also a tipping point. I would say research it very carefully. Do not go. You're literally going to have to take the screen out of the machine first. Do not take the model number or the serial number and try to find a replacement screen. That does not work. Um, oh, a Lenovo Yoga. 
Uh, I hate to be mean, but those were way overpriced in the beginning just because of that 360 hinge. Um, because it was a new cool feature. Um, two to three years old, that's pretty much, if not first gen, that's, I believe, second on the Yoga series. Um, sweetheart, that, that computer's not worth spending the money on. Even if you found the screen for like 30, 50 bucks, it's not worth it. Like, not worth it. Oh, that was, the, yeah. Okay, so no 360 hinge. Or at least I thought the Yoga was the 360 hinge. Because that was the whole thing, was that it could bend and flex and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to disagree here because I'm looking at the eBay resale. It's worth it. Okay. Well, again, if it's not a yoga, though. Like, now, the... the don't get me wrong. I like Lenovo computers, and that's where I'm saying it's a tipping point, is some of them are, some of them aren't. Um, the original yoga, though, was... Oh. Like, I've picked up a couple of... Or I picked up one of those for a client, um, and I... Mm, it was good enough for them, um, it, but it was not a great computer. Like, its whole selling point was that 360 hinge. Well, I guess the basically where it folds over to a tablet is what I'm going for. Um, that it would go full motion. Okay, so guys, if you haven't been wondering why I've been really quiet... It's because Astrodomalina decided that they wanted to message me directly on Facebook. Oh, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was it's quite enjoyable to be dealing with stupid. Very upset that I blocked them and we were talking about milkshakes at McDonald's. Oh well. They were also seven hundred dollar idea pad is different. Yeah. All right, let me look it up real quick. Um, so that's the 130-15 AST. Yep. Did I read that right? Yes, I read that right. All right, let's see where we're at. Um, so that's still technically a refurb 293 is the high price. Um, or it looks like the high price on that. I'm not seeing anything. Uh, yeah, 293 So it's a, still a $300 laptop. Um, let me look at the specs real quick. Oh, hell, they're still making that one. Wow. Well, 2019. Um, I need specs. Give me specs. There's specs. All right, 15.6 inch APU quad core A6, 8 gigs of RAM, Windows 10, SSD. Good job. Um, AMD rate on R4, not perfect. Uh, let's see, 2.6, max speed 3.1, I believe, if I'm reading right. I think I jumped. Okay, 
that would be a computer I could see spending the money for the screen, assuming the screen isn't basically the value of the computer. The replacement screen is ninety nine forty six. Yeah. Um, so that's not the worst screen replacement. Um, yeah. Well, it goes down. Well, that's eBay. Um, but yeah, iFix it is also a good site. I'm not opposed. That's sixty nine ninety nine. Uh, oh, sorry, my bad. That's the keyboard. Um, so yeah, no. Is it worth hundred dollars? I, I could see going for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sunny did great on that one. Um, sorry, I thought you got a yoga because you said yoga. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, those were uh, like the whole selling point of the yoga series was that stupid hinge. Mm -hmm. Like, it was the most stripped down, stupid computer. Um, it's very basic. It, you can play all your Facebook games, you can go on Facebook, you can send your email. You can do word processing, but it was a real underpowered computer for the price point. Um, you know, like you really had to need the the whole like tablet mode to justify it. Um, I wanted one so bad till I laid hands on it, and then I was like, "Ew, no, this has got to get better." Yep. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. So, the link. Yeah. Well, good job. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, it'd be like that. I know. Um, but no, the IdeaPad line is actually a pretty solid system. Um, they're not always as flashy. They don't always have, like, you know, touchscreen and, you know, like they're a little slower on the IdeaPad line um, to adopt things like touchscreen and all the new flashies. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. They're solid systems. They actually have resale value. They're good systems. They're also great for business. All right. All right. So let's talk about Saturday because Saturday's going to be busy because we're both doing this event. I know, right? All right. So first up, of course, I will be doing readings as my schedule allows. We're also mm -hmm. teaching a shotgun tarot class. Then I'm hoping to take my camera with me, film it, and give it to my baristas as a perk. Awesome. All right. You will be doing cameraing. Yes, I will be taking... I'm, I'm actually the official Central West Virginia Pagan Pride photographer. Yeah. And uh, so in addition to uh, taking photos of the event as stuff is happening, I will also be doing photos by the pond. Um, so, yeah. And your official program lists all my prices, so you know how much that is, basically. Uh, if you want a digital, it's five bucks. Uh, if you want prints, there's all kinds of choices there. Um, those are all detailed out. Um, so, yeah. Looking like the dude from the Jurassic Park. Thank you, Shannon. Yes, I almost forgot. I will have my hat on. It is a straw hat with a little blue and white band on it. I will totally look like that. Oh... Ashley sending us screenshots. The dude, one, one, probably all the same dude that we kicked out, um, or person. Please report him. Please report him. Please block him. Yes. Welcome to the hater club. Mm -hmm. 
this is why it is important, and I know that a lot of you guys don't use it, but as a barista, you do get your private viewing of the show, and you get to use it in there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> oh, good deal. Very cool. Ashley's becoming quite the little IT person. I'm liking it. Yes. She's going to be a really great first assistant if she keeps this crap up. I know, right? Hey, it's not crap. It's awesome. I know. Like, I miss the days, like the early days of, like, not that I've ever owned Adele. Um, still my dream. Um, don't ask me why. It, it's part of being a kid in the 80s and 90s. Dude, you're getting Adele. Um, but <laughs> I remember when, like, companies encouraged Dell being one of the major ones for you to get inside your computer and do stuff. Um... And then they started making some of the stuff so flippin' difficult. Um, and Ashley, there's also... <laughs> oh, my God. Uh -huh. I see how that works. Um, well, you know, Assistant One's job must be to do the show, because if we're going by Devil Wears product rules, once you become an incubus of viral plague... It's the first assistant's job. Um, <laughs> oh, good job. Um, so Ashley's uncle has worked with computers since they were young, so they know a little bit about them, figured out how to mount ISO files from torrents to play games on my own as a little kid. Good job. Awesome. Oh. Okay, guys, other important announcement. Mountain Bears will be on Thursday night. Yes. Yes. So we'll see you in two days. Yes. Well, less than that. Almost less than that because it's almost midnight. No, we're not permanently moving to Thursdays. We are moving to Thursdays because I'm going to be traveling on Fridays. It's probably the only time it happens this year, but that is always our remote day. So. Yeah, because if y'all remember when we were on Blog Talk, we, we've tried this travel on the road, do a show thing, and it always fails. Yes. <laughs> it never works. Yes. So we're like, mm -mm, not, no, we no. killed that immediately. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, the infrastructure bill. Hee <laughs> hee. Yes. Yes, we are streaming this Thursday. Yes, we will be streaming this Thursday for the live show. Oh, but no, it's been a great night tonight. Yes, it was a long show. It was great sitting there and actually talking with an author that's doing some really great things. Go get her books, especially Thirst. Yeah. So if you missed it earlier, R-E-M-Y-C-A-V-I-L-I-C-H dot com. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Go enjoy. Awesome books. And, Baristas, just a reminder, our Zoom call will be on Monday the 30th mm -hmm. at 8 p.m. Good deal, good deal. 
we'll yeah. enjoy you guys then. And of course, we got to switch over now because we are closing out this show. Yeah. Um, and we want to thank Beverly Walker, Mika G, Kathy, Mary Winfield, Brenda Bryan, Ashley Guest, Shannon C, Shannon D, and the lovely lady Gwendolyn. If you'd like to learn more about how you can become a Patreon supporter and become one of our lovely baristas who have access to the break room and don't have to deal with assholes posting shit to them, um, please visit PCSPnetwork.com. Uh, I hate when I ad lib. I always screw up our web address, but there you go, guys. Yes. Um, so go check us out. We're cheap. We're easy. We're lovable. Mm-hmm. And we are having a fabulous night, and I hope you guys have a fabulous week. Now, get your vaccinations, including the third one coming up. Make sure to wash your hands. Make sure to wear a mask if you feel uncomfortable. And also, eat your vegetables. Take your meds. Be happy. Create your life into what you want it to be. Till then, good night, y'all. Good night.